1: The decisions you make in your health choices can truly reflect the current and future course of your life. Welcome to Wise Chats, Simple Talk, Profound Wisdom, with your host, Dr. Mary Jo Bulbrook. Our show will bring leading-edge expertise to deep challenges faced by individuals and humanity. We'll draw on ancient wisdom as well as the latest research from our diverse guests. Now, here is Dr. Mary Jo Bulbrook.
2: Thank you for joining the show today. Our topic is ethical dilemmas and challenges. When to speak up, why, and how. Throughout our personal and professional lives, there have been times we need to take action to speak up and out about things that are not right. This topic offers concrete examples from healthcare experiences, nursing, and medical profession, as well as from everyday life. When we cut short our opportunity to speak the truth, take the higher ground, and serve the greater good, it will take a toll on our soul's integrity. Sometimes ethical choices are done in awareness and sometimes out of awareness. As we look inward, take time to notice when you should have spoken up in didn't and why. Why? Then explore the path of integrity and right decision making that serves a higher road helping you to achieve peace in your soul. Trauma comes from ethical challenges not face. Experience how to clear the past where you have hurt yourself and others by your actions. Become free and let the light shine once again. Our guest speaker today is Dr. Leah Curtin. She has been proclaimed as a living legend in nursing by the prestigious American Academy of Nursing primarily for her work in ethics. She published Ethics in Nursing, Theories and Pragmatics published in 1980 along with the American Journal of Nursing Book of the Year. She has written hundreds of articles and columns about ethical issues in nursing from a key management position, through her numerous speeches and writing. Leah has challenged the status quo throughout her career, forcing others to look inside and tell the truth. We're, I'm so pleased you could join us t- today, Leah. And I'd like to start with where whatever you'd like to share about the ethical dimensions in health and healing that have uh, are on the forefront
3: for you. Well, there's an awfully lot going on. Um, I think the greatest dilemmas that nurses face, at least today, and probably for the last 20 years, has been that they they haven't enough time to practice nursing. They know the way they know it ought to be practiced. Uh, We can't do what we know we could do for patients because there is not enough time to do it. And uh, this, I think, is the most pervasive and least recognized uh, ethical dilemma in nursing. I mean, if you mentioned abortion, abortion, euthanasia, stem cell research, all this kind of thing, well, people say, oh, yeah, that's an ethical issue. But when you look at time, having enough time to do it right People don't think of that as an ethical issue, but indeed it is.
2: Well, that's really an interesting perspective, and I think you're right. That is not something that someone would put on the front of the list, and yet uh, if nurses are not able to do on the front lines what they're guided to do in providing care, that then can become a problem that needs to be addressed.
3: Oh, definitely, because right in the... Code for Nurses, it makes it very clear that your first obligation to a patient is to practice nursing as we have said it ought to be practiced. This is what Did, we owe to our people. That's
2: absolutely true. Is is there something you'd like to uh, advise that you could give when um, a loved one goes into the hospital Um to be on the lookout for, like maybe to connect with your the nursing staff well to make sure that uh, everything's going the way it's supposed to go. Or I, I I don't know from your experience, what would you suggest to the general public?
3: Oh, what would I suggest? There's a lot of things you can do today that wasn't possible before. Uh, if you especially are are, are going into the hospital as a matter of choice rather than as a matter of an accident or a stroke or something like that, which means you go in because you've got to get there right now. But if you have a choice, you can look at several websites to find out how how is this hospital rated, especially in the kind of care you're looking for. Um, you You can find that out online now. And uh, So that's one thing you can do. Uh, Another thing is listen to your neighbors. Talk to them. See what their experiences have been at different institutions. Um, A third thing to do is uh, to ask if there's time, take a a tour of the hospital. Talk to people ahead of time. Find out what's happening. And once you're admitted, uh, be sure your family visits or friends visit it always helps to have a, a, an independent uh, set of eyes around looking out for you. Uh, and I don't know of any nurse in the country who wouldn't say that. And uh, so I think these are all different things you can ask about. Today, however, we are restricted a lot of times by what uh, what hospital uh, our insurance will allow us to go to, uh, where our physician practices uh, and will they, uh, you know, I have to go to where my doctor practices. I don't know any different or I don't know any better. And many times physicians practice at more than one hospital. So you can you can ask them and you can ask your physician what are his or her thoughts about, about this institution. If you know any nurses, ask them what they think.
2: Those are really good points, and I remember when I was uh, living and working in St. John's, Newfoundland, that uh, I I started a specialty at working with those who were critically ill and dying, and I visited this one patient who uh, I had assisted her and her husband. She had terminal cancer and was at the end stage, and What she said to me is, I said, well, what do you want to do next? What are your plans or thoughts? And she said, I've been all over the world and I've gone to uh, as many kinds of treatments that my husband and I could find. And I know I'm at the end and I'm really tired and I'm ready to go. And I said, okay, we'll support you in your decision then. And I said, do you have any concerns? And she said, yes, my concern is that the doctor wants me to take more treatment and will be pressuring me to do additional kinds of things. And so I said to her, uh, I said, well, we'll be here to support you. It's, It's not your role where you have to use what little strength you have right now to defend yourself and your position with the doctor. I'll coach you on what to say to him. When he comes back in and he pressures you to... Uh, have more treatment, state what your position is, and you can look directly at him, and if he then tries to share other things, but but, look at him again and state your position, and then if he continues, all you need to do, do is just move your head aside. Your role is not to please a doctor, it's to take care of yourself. And she did that, and I supported her husband, and she had a very peaceful death. But when I think of that was one of her biggest worries at the end of the life, of her life, of pleasing the doctor, it, it brought forward to me what you were just talking about, is how, as nurses, we need to speak up and be an advocate for the patient to help them to do what they need for themselves at a point in
3: time. Well, many times nurses can best do this by, by as you did, uh, helping the pa- patient formulate questions, even writing them down. And, uh, and that is probably one of the most helpful things nurses can do for patients, is helping them to speak to their doctor and, and say all the things they want to say. And that's particularly helpful. Uh, being an advocate for a patient can be viewed many ways keeping the patient comfortable, uh, practicing nursing well, this is advocating for the patient. Uh, if you are asked to speak up for the patient, yes indeed. But more often than not, nurses are going to find, as their challenge, finding the time to help the patient articulate the questions he or she wants to ask of his or her physician. and. Um, Another thing you can do as a nurse is to be present at that uh, physician-patient encounter. Therefore, you can uh, remind the patient, did you you remember you wanted to ask this? You you mentioned this to me. Mm -hmm. And then the patient usually will pick that up and, and go forward with it. However, I would caution people that if the patient doesn't pick it up, let it be. If the patient may not, may not be ready to discuss this particular issue or item yet. He thinks he is, but he's not. Do you understand what I'm saying, Mary Jo? Oh, yes, absolutely. So that you have to be careful not to force the patient, even though they've talked to you about it ahead of time, not to force the patient to ask questions he's not ready to hear the answer to yet.
2: Right. Uh, I'm remembering also uh, recently I supported my sister through her hospitalization for cancer treatment and I was there not as a role of a nurse but there as her sister and found it was invaluable to be another set of eyes and ears uh, to listen to what the treatment uh, opportunities were and of course her husband was there to support her as well. and. But you need other eyes and ears to look at the different treatment uh, options and take time to reflect on and not be pressured into a decision that somebody else wants. And I'm remembering that one of uh, uh, the nurses who worked for the doctors seemed to pressure my sister in one direction and I can tell she was getting very agitated with her and uh, so I spoke up and said, "We'll think about what your recommendations are and get back to you what we want to do. So I, I know these are things that need to be addressed. And I'm, I'm aware you've got an article coming up soon when ner- nurses speak up that pay a price. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to share about that?
3: Uh, well, the article is specific to nurses, of course, because it's going to be in a nursing journal. Uh, so I hope that your audience has enough nurses in it to make it worthwhile talking about. Uh, If not, then we can go on and talk about other things. But essentially what I'm looking at is uh, how difficult it is to speak up in the workplace, and especially if you think your job might be on the line. It's, It's really hard, and you have to understand that if you're going to speak up, you stand alone. No matter how good your friends are, and no matter how right you are, your friends may not stand behind you in a work-related confrontation. See, uh, at this, you have to understand. You have to understand this. Because having a job and being able to support your family, this is rock-bottom stability for people, Security. And you cannot ask them to sacrifice their security for your issue. Do you understand what I'm saying, Mary Jo? Oh, oh, well, yes, yeah, yes. So this is this is one of the, the the problems that any employee faces if they choose to speak up. And I suppose it's probably one of the big reasons people don't speak up in any well, kind of work-related issue if they are afraid. If they are afraid. Then they will. Well, Most won't speak up. Some will, but many will not because they can't afford to disrupt their own source of income.
2: Well, this is where I think the critical ethical decision comes in, as a person begins to weigh uh, what it means for them, and that's how people can feel that they're powerless, uh, that they don't have a choice. And if they speak up on something that they see or they know that is wrong, there'll be some after effects with it. And I think this goes, this is a, a principle that can hold true in any kind of field, not just in the healthcare field, if you witness things that aren't
3: right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's undoubtedly true. You can see it, it isn't just a, a matter of witnessing it. It's even a matter of just keeping silent about things. Uh, there's a secretary who wrote a book for secretaries, and, and it's entitled, You Want Me to Do What? <laughs> and it really talks about the ethical or unethical things that secretaries are asked to do, and whether or not they speak up and why they speak up. Uh, this, is, um, this is an issue that extends far beyond nursing. I think that in health care, because we deal with people's health, with people's lives, or with their deaths, uh, it, it takes on an added, um, uh, an added sense of urgency, if nothing else. Um, all I can say is people who do speak up must be aware that just because they're right doesn't mean they'll win. It, uh, it, 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 you also have to be ready to pay the price for your honesty if it's required of you. And don't expect anything different. If you expect that it will get you in trouble, okay. Then you can live with that. But if you think somehow in your innocence or, or your naivete that there will be no repercussions, you're wrong. Now that doesn't mean you shouldn't speak up. But there are ways of speaking up that are much more effective than others. Sometimes just by asking the right questions. Sometimes by... um, Almost anything's better than a confrontation. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Okay? If you're in a confrontation, I strongly urge you to do it, at least in your work-related life. In your personal life, it's entirely the opposite. You're better to confront an issue. In your... Uh, in your professional life, it's better to, let's say, address the issue obliquely unless you're absolutely backed into a corner and then you have to be very direct. But then you will pay the price if you are direct.
2: Um, a couple of thoughts um, were triggered as you described uh, in in your last comments. And it reminded me when I was uh, um, at a attending a conference in uh, Newfoundland, Canada. And the keynote speaker was uh, talking, making some comments about uh, how they uh, did their hospice in their their program Mm -hmm. or in, in their work. And I happened to have a different idea about what I thought was a better way of doing it. And I remember standing up in the back of the room, and I have a very loud voice that can carry because I'm a teacher and I'm used to projecting my voice. But I made my comments, and as the words came out of my mouth, it was like there were bullets coming out that affected all the people where my words went forward. And when I saw that, I stopped in my tracks and I thought, When a person doesn't ground their anger or their disappointment or their hurt or whatever their feeling is, they can do something that is ethically not right that hurts other people. And ever since that time, it was many years ago that that happened, I began to notice and start studying the energetics related to ethical kinds of things. Now, I obviously didn't want to hurt the speaker I, in my naivete uh, and enthusiasm as a young nurse had thought I had something important to say he needed to hear, but the way I went about it wasn't right, and I learned from that, and I've often used this example for us to look at and own up to what we have done if we've done something wrong and learn how to make changes in our behavior to accomplish our goals. So when you said, if you have something that you want to speak up about that you think is a, is a concern, that finding the right way to say it is a very important step. Oh, I think it's a
3: critical step, because otherwise, if you, if you sound angry, if you sound confrontational... Uh, you push a person into a defensive mode and you will meet much more resistance. Whereas if you sound inquiring, if you sound interested, if you sound um, bewildered, if you sound concerned, uh, this is okay. But uh, while I say that, I think also, Mary Jo, there's something else to realize, and that is that you don't want to... um, Uh, You don't want to say something that is going to embarrass someone else in front of an audience. That audience can be just a couple of people, or it could be five or 600 people. But it's usually better not to embarrass a person if you want to confront them. You do so uh, when you are not, uh, as a matter of fact, having an audience. I can give you an example from my own life, and, and this was, oh, a number of years ago. And uh, a speaker was um, was talking about how to manage people, and she was saying things I absolutely didn't believe in. She was talking about, um, oh, let's say, uh, setting people up to fail, uh, that if you want to get rid of someone, what you do is you put them in an impossible position, and no matter what they do, then you can fire them. You do you understand what I'm saying? So yes. And she had also created a number of handouts, which she had given to the audience, of which I was one member. So I, I did get up at the question time, and I said, I don't agree with your approach to people. I don't think that you should set people up to fail. I think, if anything, you should work to help them succeed. I think that a, a much freer atmosphere in the workplace will uh, yield more productivity and so on and so on and she said are you challenging me and I said well I guess you could say that and then I let it go but afterwards I went up to her in private and I told her that the handout that she was using to give to every one of these persons was taken without permission from an article copyrighted by me wow and could I have made her very uncomfortable? Yes. Did I choose to do so? No. Because it would have done no good at all.
2: Well, you took... that That's amazing. You you took the higher road in that case. Uh, we're almost here for a break in a minute or so. And I really appreciate your giving that example because... Um, It's helping to show the full scope of when an issue comes forward. It's not only the issue, but it's a way on how we deal with the issue.
3: And and again, any time you embarrass a person in front of an audience, small or large, uh, you are doing something, one, unkind, however true you might be. You might be 100% correct. But that doesn't make it kind. And I would like to end my comments for this section by saying this, and it's a quote from Rousseau. And he said this: He said, There is no greater wisdom than kindness. (laughs) Thank you. This
2: is a good place for us to finish.
0: the voice america seventh wave channel seek greater awareness
1: Visit the Energy Medicine Partnerships website at www.energymedicinepartnerships.com for workshops, classes, and special events promoting health and healing. These holistic programs are available for both health professionals and lay individuals. Water Lily Press NC provides the teaching materials for these programs, and you can find a link to Water Lily Press NC when you visit energymedicinepartnerships.com. While you're on the site, you may also check out Akamai University's Distant Education Programs, where Dr. Mary Jo Bulbrook is Director of the Complementary Therapies Programs. Akamai University offers postgraduate diploma clinical education programs preparing clinicians, practitioners, and specialists in complementary therapies, as well as both Master's and Doctoral Education in Complementary Therapies. For more information about Akamai University, visit akamaiuniversity.us. That's A-K-A-M-A-I-University.us. And for more information about Energy Medicine Partnerships, visit energymedicinepartnerships.com. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I Am. This is Wise Chats, Simple Talk, Profound Wisdom. To reach Dr. Mary Jo Bulbrook or today's guest, please call us at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to Mary Joe at energymedicinepartnerships.com. Now, back to Wise Chats.
2: Uh, Leah, I'd like to follow up on uh, some points you touched on. And do you have any understanding why we punish
3: whistleblowers? Uh, yes, of course. One is, of course, if they've embarrassed us. we will We will become defensive and we will attack. Many times, many times, not always. The second is that if you know something's wrong and you choose not to speak up about it, and someone else does speak up about it, it makes you yourself feel uncomfortable.
0: Huh?
3: Another thing is that people, uh, people are the, the, the downside of the team, the team mentality is that is that you are almost punished if you fail to protect the team instead of, in our case, the patient or, or the product or whatever. Did you, you understand? And then there's the impact of authority. There's a number of studies that have been done uh, that uh, demonstrate that people will do something they even believe to be wrong if they're instructed to do so by someone in authority. And if you fail to follow authority, many times there's a negative uh, punishment. In everyday life, people tend to judge themselves by their own good intentions what I meant to do, what I meant to say, what I meant to achieve, rather than by the outcomes of their actions. So we judge ourselves very, shall we say, kindly. But we sometimes judge others very harshly because we don't know their intentions, we only know the outcomes. That's another thing. There's also putting things in survival terms like we're going to go down if this happens, we'll get sued, this or that, rather than uh, dealing with things in a more realistic way. What is the likelihood rather than what is the possibility of the absolute worst thing happening? And then I think there's an overemphasis on expediency, perhaps even on making money, that quote-unquote justifies conduct that otherwise would be condemned as unethical and this is why when someone actually does challenge this stuff those of us who haven't challenged it become very uncomfortable and defensive so
2: well when you you made your point about how sometimes uh, survival depends upon um, an issue I, I think there are really energetic consequences to these decisions that we're beginning to notice and understand in the ethical realm. Um, I'm working with a lot of uh, uh, organizations uh, including Healing Touch and Touch for Health Kinesiology and the Association of Comprehensive Energy Psychology. And all of these organizations are committed to serve the patient and have um, different treatment protocols of how they deliver and do what they do. And in the recent last couple of years, there's been some key writers who've uh, started writing about the ethical issues related to energy-based work. And I was one of the ones who helped promote it. We needed to have an ethics uh, committee in one of the organizations because... uh, uh, anytime you're offering care and providing a service to a population there are a set of standards and a set of code and behavior you need to operate from that, that people can understand they can use as a guideline for their life and their work and my position always has been I prefer in particular that we deal with these issues at the grassroots level rather than going the route to uh, suing and having the courts decide. And I don't know if you have any uh, comments you want to make about that. Um, uh, well, uh,
3: the problem with our judiciary system, in my opinion, is that it is altogether set up in order uh, in order to create division. Uh, in other words, what it actually does is to uh, to, to create a contest, one person against another, you know, where you have to prove your point, where you have to have all this um, confrontation in the courts, I personally think that it's best not to do things that way. Better to negotiate, better to uh, compromise, almost always better to do anything other than uh, create a win-lose situation, which is exactly what the court system does. So if you can stay out of the court system and handle things through um, uh, negotiation, and uh, that's part of the way the better way to do it. Now, I think it creates a very negative energy and an angry energy uh, to be confronting things in this way. And I think that anyone who's ever been involved in a lawsuit would tell you it's a terrible experience. It doesn't matter if you win or lose. It's a terrible experience because the energy is so bad. Now, when we get on to energy, you know that I can get carried away here. But (laughs) uh, at least from the standpoint of um, nursing, I'd like to say that one thing I read, and it was in a book called uh, My Stroke of Insight. It was written by Jill Bolte-Taylor. She's a Harvard-trained neuroanatomist uh, who had a a bad stroke, a very severe stroke, and it took her almost 10 years to, to uh, recuperate from that stroke. But one of the things she says in her book, My Stroke with Insight, is that we must, we meaning physicians and nurses, must be responsible for the kind of energy we bring to the patient's bedside. Now think about that. I mean, it's, it's a powerful statement. Because this woman... Uh, could not see, well, her eyes worked, but she didn't know what she was looking at, could not hear, although her ears worked, but she didn't know what she was hearing, Uh, could not move anything. She was utterly at the mercy of the people who came to her bedside. And yet she writes that she experienced physicians and nurses as powerful beams of energy that would come to her bedside, and with some of these people, she felt safe, and with others, she did not. Now think about that. I mean, that—that's—that's that's a powerful statement. Um, I have done a lot of work trying to analyze what she meant and what this means for us uh, as we approach a patient's bedside. Um, let's let's take it as a given that people have to have knowledge and skill. Okay. That goes without saying. You have to know what you're doing. But the question is, when you come to this person, are you focusing on them? Does this person become the focus of your intention? Or is that not the case? Are you thinking about the next patient? Are you thinking about what's going on at home? Are you communicating with people above the patient as if this person didn't exist? Or are you truly focusing on that person? And by the way, I think that focus holds for any human interaction. If you actually focus on the individual, you'll have much greater impact. It's it's tremendous. About, um, I guess it was 25 years ago, I had the privilege of meeting Mother Teresa of Calcutta. And um, it's a long story, which I'm going to cut right to the chase here. And say that uh, for whatever reason, I was with Mother Teresa and I was alone with her for about a half an hour. And when I left her, I can tell you that what impressed me utterly was her complete focus was on me. It wasn't on her. It wasn't on who she was and, and that she had just won this Nobel Peace Prize. And she didn't even mention it. Her focus was on me. Who am I? You see, what's important? Wow. This kind of interaction so whether we're talking about a patient professional interaction, or whether we're talking about uh, a social interaction or a family interaction or whatever, if you are truly focused on the individual, you will have an enormous impact. And it's very hard for human beings to focus. Most of us focus for less than 15 seconds. See, that's, I believe what the studies show, that most human beings focus on any one subject for 15 seconds or less. So if you actually focus on a person for 15 minutes, you can have a enormous impact. There's a, a lot of study that's been done on energy. And I think perhaps the most stunning is what we've learned today from quantum physics, which is essentially that energy is all that there is. That what we call solids and liquids and, and, and so on. Well, all they are is different concentrations of energy. That if you look at the very essence of anything at all, it consists of what? Of energy, of neutrons, protons, electrons. It's energy. And there is energy all around us. So that between you and me, even though we're... Many miles apart right now, there are there is a direct connection and that direct connection is through the energy that surrounds us and surrounds everything that surrounds us. There is a direct connection between people and if you don't think so, just remember what it feels like when you enter a room and you think, Oh my gosh, the the tension in here is so thick I could cut it with a knife. Well, what are you feeling? you're feeling the energy of people's thoughts. Or, when you are speaking to an audience and you know, you feel there's someone out there who wants you to fail, it undermines, it undercuts your own energy and your own ability to relate to them. This, of course, becomes enormous when you talk about the passion-professional relationship. Whether we're talking about Uh, assessing a patient, or whether we're talking about teaching a five-year-old. That focus will make all the difference in the world. Yes, you have knowledge. Yes, you have skills. Yes, you've gone to college. Yes, you've learned your lessons. Yes, you've got all kinds of degrees and or uh, legal permissions to do this and that. But I can tell you, all of that knowledge and skill becomes Well, at best, mediocre, unless you can focus on this person in front of you right now. Even if you only have three minutes. Even if you're in an emergency situation. You only have three minutes. Let me tell you, that three minutes is going to be used up whether you focus or not. So if you focus, you are directing your life energy to this person, and it makes a huge difference. Now, how's that, Mary Jo? Is that enough about energy? (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's that's uh, really good. One one of the things I'm aware is um, uh, what you're saying is so true. And connecting with the person and being aware of how you're coming across is a, a a critical determinant into how people heal, how they get well, how they respond, or how they don't respond to what's going on. And um, I I know the topic that we're dealing with, when we don't tell the truth, the throat becomes constricted and limited, not only in this situation or in other times. It's it's as if our inner light becomes dimmer, and it depends on the seriousness of the situation. And sometimes we think if we've made decisions that are unethical, and um, it, there's a part of us that knows we haven't done the right thing, we haven't acted the way we have or uh, we should. And what I, I, we need to look at the decision making and right thinking can become clouded. And, uh, but even if it is, our, our soul takes on the perspective of our actions and knows the truth. And if we take the time to go within, we can begin to see that we're using harsh comments with our patients or coming across authoritarian or hiding the truth when we know that it will cost us in some way if we let the words out. But the way we can deal with uh, ethical things is um, we need to be honest with ourselves and others and strengthen your energetic being by either consulting with an energetic practitioner or a counseling practitioner, and bring in support that will help you work through those decisions. Um, And and know that any wrong can be corrected at any time. And if we get knocked down for speaking, I always want to say, brush yourself off, get up, and start all over again with light on your side. And hearing you uh, Uh, When you first spoke about how you connect with people, it reminded me, I started as a pediatric nurse, and that really, I became very aware of that, because when you work with a child, you have to enter in at their world and their level to reach them, and many times we uh, have not learned that well enough, either in nursing school or in in, uh, some of our other experiences. How to let our own needs go and focus on the person we're we're serving. So, um, and, and and that reminds me. I I know you wrote um, a book, Sunflowers in the Sand: Stories of Children of War, and had um, a, a lot of experience with children talking about some of the difficult things that happened to them. Is there something you'd like to share about that experience that can? perhaps give us hope of uh, when really terrible things happen to people how how um, children for example figure out how to go forward in their lives
3: sometimes they do sometimes they don't I I think uh, having gone through the experience of even hearing uh, the children that happened to be in former Yugoslavia uh, during the war there in the 1990s uh, the the atrocities uh, that they witnessed, the atrocities that they suffered. Uh, it was just, it was stunning. And and one of the problems I have faced is is not just the sort of secondary trauma, but it's also um, a very great difficulty in in the thought of forgiveness. I, I spent uh, just a day observing at the the. Uh, uh, war crimes trial that followed uh, the Yugoslavian conflict. And uh, I can just tell you that it was beyond belief. It's beyond belief some of the things that were done, beyond belief. And trying to maintain any sense of uh, brotherhood, sisterhood, of of this positive energy is really hard and it just happened that last night I went to a lecture given by uh, uh, Dr. Barbara Fiend, And she was talking about uh, well, a lot of different things. But she said something. And she's the first one, I think, who's really dealt with, at least for me, in a positive way. The the impact of evil, of just pure horror on, on people. How do you deal with this? And so what she said was this that you must believe you absolutely must believe you that said good, good say is that again. more powerful than evil you uh. must believe you must that good is more powerful than evil that that this in fact is the central Uh, teaching of all major religions is also the central belief of of people who in secular humanism are trying to improve uh, the conditions of our world. You must believe that that which is good is far more powerful than that which is evil. That that which is positive, even in the energetic realm, is much more powerful than that which is negative. Otherwise you will live in fear for the rest of your life and that is nothing but destructive.
2: Those are very wise comments and of course that is what is true. Good is more powerful than evil. Um, we, we, we give too much power to uh, things that aren't right and we allow fear to hold us back. And and this is why I think at times when a person is struggling with a very difficult decision in their life, and perhaps an ethical decision, that they need to go into their inner resources and find out what is true. And sometimes that means going into silence. It means going into prayer or to seek counsel from um, wise spiritual resources that are personal in our lives. To me, the last route to go is to want to go from a legal point of view, because as you were saying, it's an adversary uh, method. But in some cases, this is what has been needed to uh, solve the problem. And it's sad for me, in particular I think in energy organizations and those of us who are healthcare professionals and who are committed to operate under the general good I, I think we should be wise enough to find solutions to difficult questions and ethical decisions and if if we work long and hard enough we um, should be able to come to that solution and I'm reminded by one of my uh, colleagues is Rose Perry who's a Mari Tohuna from New Zealand and one of the ways that they do what they do is um, going forward uh, that both parties who have been harmed in this situation that they come together and keep working till they can solve the problem both the person who has done the wrong and the person who has been wronged that it's uh, worked from both ways. So uh, I've I've found that a marvelous uh, different way of doing it.
3: Mm. Well, uh, one of the things that um, uh, Mandela did uh, in South Africa was to have the forgiveness trials. And, And even those who had performed atrocities, if they came to the forgiveness trial and they... They owned up to what they had done. They were forgiven, unquestionably, with no consequences to pay at all. They were forgiven. It was a model for the world. It was a positively stunning thing to do, Uh, considering the horrors that went on there, especially uh, in the last uh, century when they were trying trying to allow the majority of their population, who was black, uh, to be able to have even just a, a modicum of, of uh, opportunity and authority in their own country. Uh, but they forgave. And it, it brings enormous power to an interaction. Uh, but then, uh, the, uh, uh, I must say, the person who was wrong had to come forward and say, But I was wrong. And then... The persons who were wronged came forward and say, Yes, you were wrong, but I forgive you. You see, it was just it was just stunning that they could come to this under the circumstances they faced. And that was the brainchild of Mandela, that wonderful man who is now close to death.
2: Truly an inspiration.
3: Yes, yes indeed. So I suppose if I were, would want to close with anything, I'd like to say that the, the way we look at people, what we think about them, what you intend for them, the words you say to them and about them, and certainly the actions you take with them change people. Religious leaders have taught us for centuries that we are one, one body, one spirit, one people. Quantum scientists are now confirming this using pure science. It's what Jesus Christ meant when he said, insofar as you have done it unto one of these, the least of my little ones, you have done it unto me. Well, I thought that was a nice pious saying. No, he meant it literally. It's what the towers mean when he says, cut a blade of grass and the earth trembles. He actually means that how we treat those other things in our world, not just other people, also has an impact on the whole. It's what the Talmud teaches when when uh, it says, he who saves a single life saves the entire world. So, as you interact with people, if you care for yourself and for this person in front of you, At some fundamental level, you are connecting with the very essence of their being. And that, in and of itself, is healing. And so, that's why people would feel safe with you. I know you do, Mary Jo, because when I first met you, I was at a conference, and so were you. And uh, I had just received a call that morning that a dear friend of mine died. And you noticed immediately a change in my, me, in me. And you approached me, and we were able to talk about this loss. See? So it isn't just a matter of patients or teachers or uh, students or whatever. It's also a matter of being aware of the energy around a person, being aware that there is something going on with them, and then approaching them because you did that Mary Jo and I am grateful to you.
2: Thank you. I, I appreciate your saying that. It was a very moving experience for me. Uh, I find that when you walk alongside someone when they're going through a difficult times, that is one of the greatest sense of peace and joy in my life, is to be able to share um, a tender moment with another person another human being and frequently people would say to me how can you do the work that you do particularly when I was involved in hospice and I said to them how can I not do the work that I'm doing if they really only understood that meeting a person at the where they're trying to make some difficult decisions in their life They're trying to make their health care decisions or trying to decide if they should have surgery or not or take this drug or is it time to um, um, stop going for additional treatments and focus more on quality of life. Uh, And and I think we need a bigger perspective to face uh, issues in the world rather than just looking at things at face value and, and notice what the opportunities are. And I appreciate your sharing with us, Leah, from your perspective, many many different views and uh, uh, ways in the world. And uh, it has been a great insight to me and a joy to experience you personally and your wisdom. And I want to thank you from uh, the bottom of my heart for you taking your time out of your full schedule to share with our Wise Chats program your insights. I'm
3: delighted to do so Mary Jo and I would like to give you my thanks.
2: Well we're um, almost finished for the show now and I I want to mention that next week we're going to be looking at relationships and Tapas Fleming will be joining us and we have some other guests lined up for our up and coming shows and uh, uh, people can listen to them live on Wednesdays uh, from 11 to 12 on Pacific time and then if they want to they can catch up with them later on. And feel free to contact me or Leah. And uh, if you have additional questions around ethical dilemmas and challenges, when to speak up, how and why, we'd be happy to uh, address them and get back with you. So uh, this is um, one of the things I always like to do as I sign off is give one of the uh, blessings to those who've... um, taken the time to be with us and share my gratitude and for my family and friends and wider community who are out there working to do the right thing and helping other people in their health journey. For all of you, I am grateful for being on this path called life and walking alongside each other. And I look forward to seeing you next week for some more wise chats. And again, thank you, Leah, for being
3: with us. I'm glad to do it. Thank you.
1: Thanks again for being a part of Wise Chats. Please join your host, Dr. Mary Jo Bulbrook, again next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America's 7th Wave Channel. We hope that you have a great week.